In a world where options are limitless, but time is not, two heroes take a stand against injustice and overwhelming viewing choices. Starring Jane Ellen and Adam Cravens. A podcast that lets you know what's worth watching and what's not. From the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center, this is Binge or Cringe. Hello and welcome to Binge or Cringe. I'm Jane Ellen. And I'm Adam Cravens. So, Disney Plus is delightful. Disney Plus, I don't I don't know if you realize this, but... But it's delightful? It oh, I do. Um, the Mandalorian, which we both know is awesome, is the most highly anticipated series, the, the second season of it, on any streaming network. And within 24 hours of The Mandalorian going up on Disney Plus, they got, I want to say, 20 or 40 million subscribers in a 24-hour period. They got a lot of subscribers. I This really shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, it's not that people have a disinterest in Star Wars. It's not that, like, they oversaturate. Like, the, the problem... What was not that we, you gave us too much Star Wars? Like the Rise of Skywalker didn't do as well as Force Awakens because, quite frankly, it's not as good a film as Force Awakens. Case in point, like Han Solo is in the in that movie. I don't know, thirty seconds, forty seconds, mm-hmm. and Force Awakens, he's on the poster. Um, people people do enjoy Star Wars and if you'll give them good Star Wars like they'll watch that thing for four decades like case in point Empire Strikes Back like granted Star Wars isn't oversaturated at that point the the fact that the Mandalorian is so successful needs to tell them or whomever like needs to know it people people love Star Wars obviously like there's there there's you know places that are dedicated there's there's a place at Disney Parks dedicated specifically to Star Wars there there are fan events there are celebrations mm-hmm. like there are conventions the thing you have to do and this is the key to it is make it good like i know that's that's yeah. i know it's, it's just weird and strange like so disney plus is much like the mandalorian is new product for that streaming service in addition to disney's back catalog yes. and other such things there is a documentary that they have just released and it is called howard and i thought i knew stuff but i apparently did not know as much stuff about this stuff and howard is the story of howard ashman and Howard Ashman is the lyricist from Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, and Little Shop of Horrors. I I actually knew that, but I I know I know more about musicals than I ever let on. But it's probably because I saw people punched as a child because of their knowledge mm. in musicals. So I just chose not to share mine. I I knew that he died young. He died of AIDS at the time when if if you had AIDS, there's no hope for you, and. I didn't realize, just because I'd never... Because those movies came out when I was like doing stuff and being in school, and then we have the internet, and I never went back and looked. I didn't realize that he was basically putting those three animated movies together at virtually the same time as he was sick and told no one because he thought he would lose his job and his insurance. And and you can't tell a drop in quality. and Like, mm-hmm. to call the... The name, just pick any couple out of what you just said. Like, they all have classic scores. Like, I defy you to find a nine-year-old girl that cannot sing you at least mm-hmm. one song from The Little Mermaid. Like, the the um, the amount of, like, 
content, and I mean like brilliant content that he put out, mm-hmm. especially for Disney in particular, is overwhelming. In the same way that like to say like some of their you know their voice talent or you know to say you know the Lion King probably made a couple bucks for Disney. Like this guy's contribution to their bottom line, which Disney loves, uh, cannot be underestimated. Exactly. And I I just didn't realize the timing of all of it. And I knew that those scores were brilliant and that they were clever. But I guess because I didn't just look at the the lyrics alone, I just heard them. When you l- read them and see how the words go together more than just hear them, shows more of his brilliance. And they, they show this piece of Beauty and the Beast and the opening of Beauty and the Beast is has no music or maybe just you know background score. It's just like a yeah. And yeah. Belle is just walking around. She buys a book. She does this and that, and that's the opening. And then he says, "Oh no, no," and makes a like a six minute long song. Well, to again, and I'm not. And as, it's amazing. I'm not insulting like Disney's contribution to cinema previous to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's you know Snow White. Um, Sleeping Beauty, like any of those. Beauty and the Beast is the first film to become nominated for Best Picture for a really good reason. Like, you and I recently discussed about, like, the the decade that basically the musical was king at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. This film harkens back to that in a way that apparently just caught something, like, with people. Like, the, the old, like, I'm going to sing, like, what I'm doing, mm-hmm. like, while I'm doing it. Um, and this song will move forward. The, like that's what that movie is. It is. It is an old sixties. And that's just what musical. They, they, he spoke of in this because there are all these interviews with him, and just there's a lot of him. I just never heard. And he he said he had a problem with a project where younger people saw it, and they're like, well, why are they singing their feelings, or why they? Because they just weren't raised in movies from the forties and fifties where no. that's a thing. Well, I mean, but in for Disney, animation, Disney had essentially it stopped it at that. Like, you know, you had uh, Great Mouse Detective or Rescuers, mm-hmm. like which are good animated movies. Like, and to a lesser extent, like I think Oliver and Company did it, but they were not they they were not the Broadway musical. Right. Like, and I, I think they kind of dipped their toe in the water with Little Mermaid. But by the time you get around to like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King, like these things are full bore Broadway musicals. Mm-hmm that are even funny enough later adapted to be yes. Broadway musicals. And uh, how he had to fight for Ariel's song about how she wants to be somewhere up there, how she wants to leave the ocean, and because it was slow, the producer said, eh, let's just get rid of it. Right. Well, that's never happened before, especially in Wizard of Oz when they wanted to get that stupid uh-huh. somewhere over the wrong. Exactly. Somewhere over the rainbow. Oh, it slows it down. That. That's undignified. She's singing in a barnyard. Get it out of there. So it's it's fascinating. It's sad. But mostly it's it's wonderful to hear about him. All I knew was I, I knew he wrote lyrics. I didn't know a lot of his backstory or how he did it. And to see just how they were doing the animations... I always thought Ursula kind of looked like a man. I didn't know until I saw the documentary that Ursula was going to originally look more like the 1980s Joan Collins of Dynasty. (laughs) And 
he changed it and said, hey, why don't you make Ursula look more like Divine? And it's like, well, that's why she always looked kind of like a man to me. She looks like Divine. And just Google Divine. Um, that's all I'm going to say. That's a rabbit hole we... Um, and he, he did that. And apparently, when Howard spoke, it was like, you know, the, the, the word of God to everyone. If Howard says it, this is what's happening. Well, I mean, again, like, if you want to name off his credentials again, like, it's not like one, one time can be an accident. Like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, you have this guy that basically just every time when, when he sits there and goes, I think this would work. Like, it's like Steven Spielberg telling you, I've got an idea that I think we can make a buck on. Bet, mm-hmm. bet the farm. OK, yeah. like the these guys, if if Michelangelo or like not the Ninja Turtles, the the artists, if they're just like, I've got an idea for for a sculpture or a painting that I think just might work like Listen, listen to these people. And that was one of those guys that if he's telling you a decision that he's thinking would work in this musical, you you probably even if you don't agree with it, you probably need to go ahead and double down on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he he did more than just write the words. He he affected how these movies were made and he have, he affected how songwriters to follow needed to write for these animated musicals. He understood the the composition of it and mm-hmm. like the he, the ingredients how they were going to work together. Right. And that they're not just singing because hey this is got a snappy tune. They're singing Although they were. Yeah. They're singing because it's telling us something important. And it's moving our our it, the narrative is going mm-hmm. forward because of this with this song with this character saying this. And it's 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 just so sad that I, I think he was 40, maybe 41 when he died. I mean, <sighs> which which day after day seems uh, younger and younger to me. And it yeah. used to seem very old. Yeah. I remember when uh, John Lennon died and he was 40 and that didn't strike me as really old, but it was older than me. I was just like, well, he lived a full life. He's older than me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. But then the closer the closer you are to forty, you're just like, oh my goodness, it's not it's not That's a right. full life. Oh dear, once someone, I've just like, started. You know, Elvis was forty two, and uh, once you pass someone who, when you were a kid, was larger than life, and then you're older than them, it's just so. Huh. Yeah. Yep. He had their lives taken. <laughs> That's a shame. I I want to go the the route of you know Angela Lansbury and and Betty White. I want to. What's the the woman that was in uh, Gone with the Wind like that just yes. passed at like one hundred and three? Yes. That's how I want to go out, Jane. Exactly. I, I want I want to be alive so long people already think I died. See, no, that's that's brilliant. that's what I want. So anyway, you're listening to Binge or Cringe, brought to you by Hinson Oakley Family Dentistry. Jane Ellen talking with Adam Cravens about what is worth watching, the documentary called Howard on Disney Plus, ever so worth your time, if not just to enjoy the music, but to appreciate what went into it. And you watched something on the CBS All Access. Star Trek Lower Decks. Now, most of your Star Treks have got, you know, a reasonable through line. You know, live action, the characters, you know, are are reasonably serious. There's some comedic, you know, elements Mm -hmm. within there. But, like, your basic blueprint is present in roughly all of Star Trek. Even when Star Trek decided to go animated for the the revival um in the the 70s. This show is so different than any other Trek that I have 
experienced. Like if I did not see like your com badges and starships and hear them, you know, referencing things about Starfleet, I really would assume that it wasn't that. Like to give you an idea of how different the the show, well, I mean, it gives you your cold open like most of your Star Treks do. Jerry O'Connell's in it. Yeah, it's it it, it it's it's a lot of fun. Um, the opening uh, theme, if you will, starts out like it, it sounds a little bit like TNG, a little bit like Voyager. You got the bum, wait, whoa, bum, whoa, wait a minute. bum. The son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan is in it. I'm like I said, this is this is like a trek that uh, no trek you have ever seen. Um, you get it floating by like this this meteor shower, and like you're going beside like this this uh ring like Jupiter esque ring planet. And the meteors start bumping into the hull of the ship. And then, like, the ship just stops for a second, even though it's going by this majestic space, like, picturesque thing behind it. And it gets sucked into a black hole. And then it has to come right back out to where it was. Um, at another point in the opener, you see it pull up onto what looks like several Romulan warbirds and some boar cubes fighting a very violent battle. And then it puts it in reverse and drives away. Hmm. Um, it it very much takes a lot of your Trek staples and just goes the other direction or has conversations that you're sure people must have had that were on the Enterprise constantly listening to, to all the like the ship is called Lower Decks because it's about a, a couple of like nobodies. They're hmm. all ensigns. They're the ones that like if you spilled a drink on the bridge they're the ones that you page up there to clean that. Got it. Like they're not, it's not the, you know, the the head doctor, it's not the captain, it's not the commander, it's not the the chief engineer. These are these are the people that whenever the replicators break and they just start making bananas nonstop that come into your room and fix the replicator so it'll fix, you know, your tea earl gray hot mm-hmm. or something like that. And they are making just these hysterical asides. Like mm. you have this one who is so consumed with becoming a captain. He wants to go into command. And then you have this other one and she just can't be bothered with any of it. She is overjoyed to be an ensign. She doesn't have any mm. responsibilities. Um, Like one of them's up there and he's, he, they're, they're all talking about what they want to, to do with their future. And she's like, what? No. Why would I want to be on the bridge? And he's like, that's where all the important stuff happens. Don't you want to be part of the, the, the annals of history? And she goes, nah. no. Have you ever listened to those people? Duty, honor, this is against that directive. She goes, I don't want to do any of that. You know what I want to do? I want to clock out. I want to go. I want to go to the bar. Or I, I want to go to my room and I want to replicate uh, something. Like just these really funny conversations or like – um. One of them gets into a thing of Romulan ale. Ah, well. She is, she is moving something around, and she's done this in one of the cargo bays. So while she's drinking this Romulan ale, which, as we know from Star Trek VI, is illegal to have on a, a Federation starship. Everybody knows that. She also gets a bat left and starts messing around with it, and she's just sitting there going, My name is Korath! Ah, honor and stuff! Honor and stuff! And she accidentally deep cuts. And I don't mean she makes a reference that my, people might not get. She deep cuts the other ensign in the leg with the bat left. Like, nothing, this is nothing like any Trek that you have ever seen. And I, I'm only describing, like, the first 20 minutes of it right now. Eventually, they go down to do which this was funny second contact <laughs> Be- because like 
the the other ship, which it's kind of implied was probably the Enterprise, because this is set in like the Voyager Deep Space Nine Next Generation mm-hmm. era. Um, they basically talk about how you have to get, you know, like treaties signed. You have to, you know, clean up like the the area where you staged it and everything like second context. Very important. They make sure you understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody gets bit by a bug and the transporter, whenever they send it back up, doesn't catch any of the disease. But unfortunately, it turns them into walking, walking dead esque zombies. Mm-hmm. And um, while two of the ensigns are down there, basically the entire ship um, becomes an episode of the walking dead. Um, I think Seth MacFarlane would love this. This this feel like if the I, I, I haven't got to watch like uh, much of the Orville, but like basically what I've what I've read about it and a lot of like the clips that I've seen about it. This feels a lot like what an animated it, if, if Seth MacFarlane, if, if the Orville was animated, this probably could have some crossover with it. Um, it's very irreverent. Like it doesn't make doesn't mind making fun of like all of these different like one of one of the people starts uh, like I said, the, the, like the, the name of the episode Second Contact, which just cracked Already me up. Is funny. And the way that they're trying to get around like all this stuff or the references they're making back to. Well, that's not the way Khan would have done it. What do you mean? What do you mean that's not the way? Like they're they're they'll reference stuff that if you've you know been a part of this for however long Star Trek's been around, you're gonna find it funny. But it's not so like in joke that if you haven't watched every episode of every Star Trek series and you're not 13 in mm-hmm. on the movies that you're just gonna be going, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, like one of them gets attacked by this hideous looking creature, like looks like they're about to die. But then one of the characters on the planet points out and he goes, oh, no, he's uh, he's herbivorous. Um, he's probably just suckling on him. He he thinks that he can get milk for him. He goes, if he'll just wait it out, he'll tire him. But, I mean, this is a hideous, like, gnarly-looking, Lord of the Rings-looking beast. And he's like, yeah, he doesn't have teeth. He can't, he can't eat him. Um, he's probably just going to be a little sore by the time uh-huh. it's all over. Like, it's just... It, it's only an episode in right now, but if the pilot episode is any indication, if you're into Trek and you like a good chuckle, like something that would not have been my first like intuition to marry together comedy, animation, and Star Trek seems to be off onto a, a good foot. I think that's wonderful. So you have that on CBS All Access, Star Trek Lower Deck. Uh-huh. Lower Decks? Lower Lo- De- I think it's Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Okay. Star Trek Lower Decks. And that should, I'm guessing, when do we have the next I think Star they Trek? drop, I think they drop, are you, the new, the new any, the show. Any. Of this the- will, this will drop week to week, but I think uh, Section 31 mm-hmm. is supposed to be, or no, uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3 and then Section 30. 31 should follow closely there. So CBS has kind of figured out that most people signed up for it just to watch Star Trek and once there isn't a new Star Trek they disengage. And if so you will. So if they have Star Trek to Star Trek to Star Trek, you might actually keep it. Well, I mean to say nothing, like Frasier is on there. So when like there isn't a new episode of Discovery or Picard or now well, Lower Decks, Frasier, yeah. I'm just saying there's eleven seasons of Frasier on there. And like there's not a lot of shows you can just go there's not really a bad episode. Like, Mm-mm. I can think of episodes that I don't think are as funny, but, like, Kelsey Grammer is Frasier. Like, if He's it's funny. Cheers, if it's if it's his own, like, epitome series, 
You're not really taking a misstep there. You'll enjoy this. Uh, I was working in country music at the time, and I was interviewing an up-and-coming star who was, she was a young teen. Let's say she was 15. I don't know. But she had a hit song, and she was from Seattle. And this was her first song, and I'm interviewing her. And so I, of course, (laughs) I, of course, say, I bet you Frasier was your favorite show. I don't know what that is. But I couldn't let that go, Adam. Well, you know, Frazier, he used to be on Cheers and Frazier. He moved to Seattle. It was a very popular it's in show. Seat- I mean, it was still current at the time. Frazier was still How on TV. Not? I don't know what that is. And then, and then I just gave up. Sometimes, sometimes I just give up. I mean, of all the things you're not going to know, like if I, if I make a reference to like the Lone Gunman show, that's a spinoff of the X-Files. Which is awesome. I, I get it if you didn't hear about that for all like 11 episodes that aired. Um, but if you do if know about it, you probably watched Manimal as well. I'm just saying like, but Frazier was like, I, I think he holds the record for playing uh, like a fictional character for the longest, like 20, 21 years, lots of awards. 21 years, I think between like Cheers and for, like Cheers was the number one rated show. He really show. is a treasure. I mean, he's Sideshow Bob. He's Frazier. He's I, like I don't. It, I, he doesn't need to be. If you just else. if if you just talk about Fraser Crane and Sideshow Bob alone, like I, you're already pretty legendary. But I'm just it. All that to say, even when there's not Star Trek that's new, like you also have Enterprise, uh, Star Trek the original series, Star Trek the animated series, Star Trek the Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager. You have a couple of the movies on there. But I'm just saying, like. There's, there's stuff. stuff. There's stuff to watch on CBS All Access, Elementary. even when, even when there is not a new. The Price is Right. I'm just saying, like, there's stuff on there. And before I forget this, because I've already forgotten the name, Hulu has made a deal with two gentlemen that you are familiar with, uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short. I've heard of them. And Selena Gomez. I I I know who she is. I don't know. I don't know as much there, about her as I do. The three of them, right. the, those three amigos in an amiga, uh, they're starring. Oh, Chevy Chase can't replace. Uh, Sorry, buddy. They're starring in a TV show, which is a sitcom. Two two amigos and an amiga. No, no. I, I've already. It's like the murder only. I forgot what it's called. But they're people who don't know each other, and they love to hear about real life crime, and then they're involved in one and have to solve the mystery, and it'll be new on Hulu sometime. But you need to look it up so you can see Steve Martin and Martin Short saying, "Already, it's a blip on my career, and already my best work ever." And it, they haven't even filmed it. It really is true when oh, you reach awesome. a certain age. You have to solve mysteries on television. It it happens. Bill to Cosby, everyone. Dick Van Dyke, Angela Lansbury, uh, Matt, La- Andy Griffith. Like literally, everyone has to solve mysteries, mm-hmm. usually involving murder. Usually. So, if only Bill Cosby could have solved the mystery of why he was a disgusting person. I I think he solved the mystery. I think he just hid the evidence. All right. <laughs> I hate it that we have to talk about Bill Cosby, but I always have to sandwich it with, at the time, we didn't know, yada, no. yada, 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 and this was really good, and then we found out 
Well, I mean, it's okay. Brian Singer, who did The Incredible X-Men 2, like we find out later that he's a tremendous creep and it it makes me like I, I hate it when people who did really good entertaining things like just forever yeah. taint their work so that like I, I don't even feel like I can go back and just be like, listen, like. Regardless of what Cosby did, the Cosby show is like I don't I don't even want to say things like I'm just like no what you did is so terrible like I don't ever want to reference the Cosby show again. I know it's just a downer because I remember loving that show. Anyway, I'm gonna hide my love away, watch whatever we just talked about because now I'm down another hole here. And thank you for listening to Binger Cringe. I'm Jane Ellen, and I'm. Adam Cravens. You've been listening to Binge or Cringe. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.